Yes. Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late to transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hey, Katie. Hi, Delady. I'm so glad to have my intern with me. You do such wonderful work. I just wanted to compliment you on your photocopies. Stop it. Thank you. Yeah, I do have a flair around the scanner. Um, On this episode, I just wanted to tell you, because I know you haven't watched this show, we have the co-senior head writers. I'm big on adding titles. Yeah, junior, (laughs) the third. I don't know if you guys listened to our interview with a former CIA agent, but it's, it's... Come necessary, I've realized, to add lots of titles in order for someone to sound very important. Yeah, intern just sounds. You're the senior stark intern. And, oh, cool. Yeah, and senior, the junior. Senior yeah. co-intern. Senior senior co-intern. To with the, lady. Yeah, with with my dog. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, on this episode, we have Lisa Zeritsky and Julie Rottenberg, who you may recognize their names from the credits in Sex and the City, and. They're doing the first scripted series for Bravo. I'm not a huge reality fan because reality shows are as far from reality as I think anyone could ever. You don't like reality shows or you don't like reality? You like to escape. Okay, I like reality. I can handle serious dramas, traumatizing ones, but I usually don't like reality shows. So I was excited um, to see this because it's Bravo's first scripted series. And the writing is so funny, in major part because of these two, as well as um, Jill Cargman, who stars in it, Mm. who is... um, all right, compliment to her father was the CEO of Chanel. I'm sure, again, Andrew, excuse me, so I just all outed. Of my stuff is Chanel. <laughs> Chanel. Whatever stuff they make. Fragrances, all my fragrances. Everything. And shoes, and my bathtub is a Chanel bathtub. Your, and your um, four-piece suit. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what that fourth piece is, but and I'm, adding, I'm still trying to I'm figure adding. out how to hook it on. I'm adding into the collection. Um, but she's really absurdly funny, so it makes this show about wealthy moms on the Upper East Side um, work so well. You can catch them on Bravo, um, and you'll get to hear about what it's like to write this episode, even though these women live so far away in Brooklyn. Um, they're able to capture the Upper East Side so well. <laughs> Enjoy our interview. Julie and I just... We started having sleepovers pretty soon after we met, and sleepovers were like it was such, such a testament to friendship. Yes, so exciting. Yes. Also, it was so exciting because Elisa didn't go to my school, and she lived out in the suburbs. And at the time, we didn't have a car, so sometimes just to go out to her house, my mom would rent a car, and it was so exciting to be driven out to Elisa's beautiful house. Um, and they just had this magical, I have this magical memory of going out because Elisa was like my special friend and, um, We would just talk and talk and talk and then we would sit at Julie's piano. Uh, Julie's mother became my piano teacher, but Julie's an amazing, uh, pianist. Do you and know my pianist or pianist? So not true. Well, um, yeah. Pianist? I mean, it's yeah, a, pianist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did. It's, it always sounds so gross but um <laughs> so we used to sing she can cite read music which is something I could never do and oh, yeah. we would sit at her piano and just sing sheet music like send in the clowns and we just 
loved all of the same stuff as kids, and we were so happy to have found each other. We loved Phil Donahue, <laughs> and we talked about God, and we believed and we would in God. make we talk shows. Deep, we, we did some. You talk would make shows. talk shows. We did talk yes. shows on cassettes, you know. cassette tapes. I wish we we can't find them. It's very upsetting. But, um, and also I think because we didn't go to school together, our time together was so precious and yeah. special. Yes. Yeah. But you we know? used to also talk on the phone, which is so <laughs> weird because <laughs> people don't do that anymore. So did your kids not, okay, I guess they're a little young. Well, they're, they're too, they're too young. young, but I don't think but anyone talks. But do kids talk on the phone now? Yeah. No, I don't think they do. I Even think they mostly text. Wow. So, that's and, what and I'm hearing about the older hours, kids. Hours. And hours. And remember call waiting? Call oh, waiting. yeah. Call waiting. We and the second line where you would, like, turn the little thing. <laughs> oh, and, oh, my parents, I used to pull my, I mean, even just the wire on the phone. You oh, know, yeah, I used yeah. to, we had a pantry off our kitchen, and oh, our phone was on the, ki- you know, on the kitchen wall, and I always used to drag the phone into the pantry and shut the door. And that's where, I, like, that was my little office. And they would get so mad at me. They would, get off the phone! And now it's, I don't know, it's a whole different yeah. world. We are right. so old. <laughs> in case you're Have wondering, we we're that. both in our um, walkers. Yes, we're, like, referring to when we were, like, Stone horse age. and buggy. Um, what were the kinds of writing things you guys were doing on your own at the time that really, that you enjoyed? I mean, you know, obviously there's compulsory writing, but create things I mean, that make you happy? I loved writing short stories as soon as I learned what they were. And Julie and I, we, we went to a drama camp together. We went what to Frenchwood's Festival Woods. of the Performing Arts. Um, we went there for five summers together. And that was like the extended, you know, sleepover that was so much fun. Um, but we would weep at the end of the summer. Like it was... Oh, I went yeah. into a deep depression every time camp ended. I was so upset and sad. Yeah. I and think we're that's still, common. Because it was yeah, our, yeah, it was so your special, special world. So yeah. special. Um, so you guys were already quite theatrical as a sounding. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were. But, but for writers, that's not necessarily like... Some writers come from acting. You know, I, I mean, this is sort of a silly thing to say. Like, it's like some brown-haired people like to swim. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but the, it is... Um, it is interesting because there are so many writers who are very cerebral and they were writing from the get-go. Right. You guys came from a performative yeah. part and then went to writing. Why Why did you go to, towards writing and not acting? I think we have different reasons. Yes. You go. Um, so I think for me, I started out as a kid and I was hammy and, you know, it was fun. I loved, I loved the world. I loved theater and movies and TV and everything. But I think the older I got, the more I realized that I didn't like being on stage. I didn't feel comfortable on stage. I didn't. I couldn't stay in character because if I met eyes with someone in the audience, <laughs> I just started cracking up or I wanted to say hi to them. I just couldn't hold it. And um, so writing for me, and I also, we both started that also really young. I mean, we were, we were into acting and all of that theatrical stuff, but we were also both writing when we were kids. And I think I just started feeling more and more comfortable being able to express myself and be funny on paper was much more, I was more comfortable doing that than standing up and trying to make people laugh as a personality. Mm. Would you say that's 
Um, and I, this is Julie, by the way. I realize like no one's gonna oh, be able yeah, to tell us apart. Nice. You can just guess who is who. Oh. Um, uh, this is Julie, and I will just say I. Um, we'll play guess who's the redhead. <laughs> it it I stuck with the acting thing for a long time, like all the way through college and after college. I was like going to auditions and buying backstage. Talk about like dating yourself. And you went to Vassar? <laughs> like, no, no, I, I, Elisa went, went to Vassar. <laughs> Columbia. So I was here in New York, okay, well. and I was here in New York because I was going to be a big star. Um, and uh, so fast, the message was sent to me <laughs> that that was so not what I was meant to, to be. Um, Who sent that message? Uh, I would say the universe. Um, no, but specifically, I like, mean, did you have experiences where? No. Well, I'll just repeat this advice that we've gotten from our amazing boss on Sex and the City, Michael Patrick King, and he, he said it years, decades after I experienced it, but his mantra was follow the green lights. Um, and for me, when I put out my acting, singing, dancing, writing uh, array, what I got back was, your writing is great. You should do writing. So when you hear that enough times, you get it. Um, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that it suddenly became so obvious. It was like, duh, I'm never going to make it as an actress, and I shouldn't be one anyway. Um, and where I seem to have traction, or at least I'm getting any response, which, I mean, it, it was hard enough to do what I was allegedly good at, but at least I felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I love doing. Um, and now, of course, we're lucky enough to work in television where you, you still get to do a lot of that other stuff. Um, because you're also producing, and um, which involves directing and sometimes dancing. <laughs> um, and occasional singing. Occasional so, singing. I do sing in the shower. Sex in the City sounds like an ideal place to have worked as your first job. And I wanted to hear what are the benefits of having such a wonderful experience um, as the first one, and what are, what are the mm. um, things that you then had to learn? <laughs> well... Well put, Aletta Lisa. Um, the benefits, I mean, where to begin? It was like television writing, grad, college and grad school all mashed together. We learned from the best teacher in Michael Patrick King and had the most incredible classroom with all of the writers on the show, Cindy Shupak, Jenny Bix, Liz DiCillo, Amy Harris, um, sorry, Amy B. Harris, <laughs> which is her professional name, um, and Michael. And we, so, I mean, every day was challenging and funny. We laughed every day on the show. We challenged each other. It was very intense and emotional and exciting. And we learned, we learned how, I think a very good show is built, which is everybody listening to each other, everybody feeling um, trustworthy enough and, and trusting enough to disagree with each other and have debates and put it all into the show. Um, we had a strong leader who, you know, kind of pushed everyone to the right place, I think. And... Um, it was the most incredible experience. And then on top of that, it was a successful, popular show that people liked, which was 
the gravy, you know. Um, yeah, it's true. It was thrilling, and it was like having two separate experiences because mm. the, we had the one where we were in the room and writing these scripts, and then, oh, my God, all these people also like it. Um, so that was really thrilling and the best training ground we could have ever had. Um, While you're on the, yep, the positives. upside, the positives, I'll just jump in, Julie here, uh, and say that was our first job on a show. So that was our first writer's room. And I remember sitting in that room and thinking, I have a job in television, like period. Like we would have been thrilled to get a job on any television show, let alone one that- We already were diehard fans of. It was our favorite show, we died for it. Um, So it was like this this shock of, of, is this happening to us? And then on top of that, my worst fear is we're going to get a job on our favorite show and then discover that everyone is monsters and then mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to love my favorite show. And in fact, it was as wonderful as we fantasized it, that it would be before we were working on it. Um, and and then, uh, when, then when you got out, what was the difference you found when you worked on other shows since oh my then? God. Where to begin? Well, I mean, in some ways, I feel like we, we were... Always, as Julie said, we were always pinching ourselves that we were there. I mean, even from from the minute we got there to the minute it ended, we never, we we never lost sight of the fact that this was the most incredible job, and we were so lucky to be part of it. But it wasn't until you know that was eleven years ago that the show ended, and we've done a lot of writing since then. We've written a lot of pilots that haven't been produced. We've worked in several writers' rooms. Oh I don't God. know. Well, I, I will just say one was produced. That's true. <laughs> Out of, I think, at least 10. 10 at least 10. Scripts that, you know, we were paid to write, which in itself is a luxury and a, a great way to Privilege, make a yeah. And, and, and stay in New that. York. and um, Right. Staying in New York is very important to us, and it made things harder because nobody really wants to produce in New York, even if many people say they do, in terms of like studios and networks, um, that is. But um, we realized, and while we knew this in some intellectual way while we were on Sex and the City, that there will never be another constellation of um, factors that we had in terms of loving the writers. We're still all really close friends. We stay in touch. We help each other. We turn to each other when we're having writing problems or issues with people um, on on a show. Um, Loving the writers, having a boss who really not only taught us how to write and how to create a show and build a show and, and arc out a season of a show, but he really took joy in teaching us all the aspects of the show. We'd never been on a set before. So when we walked down to that coffee shop set, I remember the first day. Our heads blew I, off. We like walked right into the shot, I'm sure, because we didn't know what the hell, like it was shocking to us. All the coverage, the moving of the camera. And Michael, unlike many showrunners, and you know, understandably so, now I see how fast things move. You don't really have time to hold someone's hand who's never done it before. But he took the time, and he was like, get over here. And he pulled us over to Video Village and showed us what shot we were doing. And he really taught, it was important to him to teach us every aspect of producing the show, including casting, editing, 
sound So for design. our own episodes, we were expected Producing. to learn how to produce And them. we were really newbies. Like, normally on normal shows, even much higher level writers don't get to do what he let us do. And, and now that you're, um, you know, petting your own show, mm-hmm. or I've gone out. Mm-hmm. Um, do on you, Bravo Mondays at 10. <laughs> do you feel like you have... Um, done the same things with that Michael Madriking did with you? We've, we were just talking to him yesterday, actually, and we've told this to him every time we've spoken to him, but we, we literally tried every single day. We thought about what he would do and how he was a conductor of that room and made everybody feel heard. I was, I was just about to say that on a lot of television shows, when you're the lowest level writer, There's all this protocol about how little you should actually speak and contribute, but that wasn't the way Michael led his room. And so as a result, we we contributed. We didn't even know. (laughs) Yeah, and and we were the lowest on the totem totem pole. But do you feel that way now when when you have low writers on the totem pole? Do you wish that they would talk less? No, no, no. no, The opposite. No, no, no. No. And that's, that's, I mean, we only hired people. We had a teeny tiny room, but we only hired (laughs) people I better talk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There were so few of us. But um, no, we, I think what Elisa is saying is we try to recreate that feeling of it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, you're here because we love your writing and your ideas and we want your criticism and we want your thoughts and your concerns. Your ideas, yeah, Um, your pitches too. And uh, I think also the difference um, when we went out into the the wilderness um, and we wrote wrote on a a number of different shows and suddenly it, it was so shockingly different than the way things were run on Sex and the City that I almost didn't know... I was like, I knew Sex and the City was really unusual, but I didn't realize just in how many ways. For example, um, in in a, another writer's room, actually really all of them, there were a lot of writers, many more than we had on Sex and the City, sitting around a big table, sort of like the one we're at right now. Um, we're in the Writers Guild. We're in the Writers Guild at a huge, room. where it looks like we're conducting a shareholders <laughs> meeting. It's um, like the firm. And we are the CEO, and we're about to be fired. But... Um, uh, and so picture so many writers, 10, 12 writers, so many writers around a, a table and you're in the writer's room or we were in the writer's room for so many hours on end and people would just sort of wander out to the bathroom or to check their email and wander back in and wander out and wander in. And at first I thought like, what is happening? And I think Michael, the way he ran the room he would, it would upset him if someone missed like a, a, an exchange of um, dialogue, like in the writer's room. Like if you went to the bathroom, he was like, get back here! Like, you know, he just, because he cared so much that everyone was on the same page and everyone knew what had just been talked about. And that made you feel, that made you feel really important and really invested in it. it, it I never felt like he, he wouldn't notice if I was late or if I ran out to the bathroom or it was so important to him that we were like this huddled mass around this this project that we were all giving um, birth to. And and part of why he wanted everybody there was that everybody's point of view made mm. it into the show. If, if people, you know, it, one person would say something controversial or just share a story, and if it provoked a huge reaction and a huge argument would break out, which which sometimes did happen, 
you know, a, a lot of people would be very uncomfortable in that situation. A lot of uh, showrunners, I, I don't know, but Michael would say, that's perfect. That's exactly what Charlotte would say, mm-hmm. you know, and that has to be in there. And that's what the audience is going to be thinking. We have to put that in Miranda's mouth. So we learned that that's how, that's how a good show, I think, is really comes together from reality. But there's one more thing I want to say about uh, the first the first part of your answer, which is the, the biggest difference between, uh, you know, some of the other shows, uh, really all the other shows we worked on and Sex and the City Writers Room, and I think one of the reasons why writers felt that they could safely mm-hmm. walk in and out is that I think every single other writer's room has a writer's assistant who is mm. acting as a stenographer. That is so true. And taking it's reams true. and reams of notes and writing down everything that all the writers are saying, yep. whether or not it's, it's necessary or good or going to be used. And so right. we didn't know about that practice until after Sex in the City because we never Michael had didn't that. believe in it. He so we all sat there with our computers that. taking notes or notebooks we took notes, and there were times when you would kind of go on cruise control as a writer in a room who's not responsible for that episode, and you'd kind of just be listening to the conversation or pitching the, pitching in, and he'd, he would be the one taking notes, and he would sort of say, guys, what are you doing? I'm not, this is not my episode, or you should down. all be getting this dialogue down because this is all good, and it's going to go in the show. And so yeah. he taught us that it's if true. you're there, you have to participate. You have to be alive and... You know, you have to have all your circuits shooting, and really you can't so just sit back that. and relax. So it we did. It does make you a less active thinker when you're not having to take notes. I think. Yeah, totally. Do um, you have a writer's assistant on your new show? No, no we we For have that very we have a writer's we had a writer's assistant during the writing season, but specifically we did not. And I'm sure it was frustrating for anyone who interviewed for the job. We did not want them in the writers' room and for we that, made that reason. Clear. We were like, we're not going to have a writers' assistant in the room because we we for don't these believe in philosophical it. reasons. Yeah, um, and uh, also I think that intimacy that he was looking for would be lost if you have someone that who's there literally like recording events. Like there was this feeling that no one was listening to us that we were just sharing our most personal stories and intimate um, memories. When you're working with someone, the particular show that you're working on now is unique in many ways. It's the first scripted show on Bravo, but it's also... Um, you're first also scripted comedy, I should scripted say. Scripted comedy. Sorry. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Bravo, um, Mondays at 10. <laughs> and it's also um, starring one of the creators. So you have this... Um, the creator, the Jill creator, Cargman. Jill yeah. Cargman, excuse me. Uh, I was including you guys as part of the creation team. We're no. eight, we're executive producers and okay. showrunners, but we're not co-creators. Okay, so she created this. Yes. So I wanted to know, is there something freeing about it not being your brainchild and not being your baby, but it's something you get to come in and work mm. on? Uh, we didn't approach no. it that way. <laughs> no, we totally didn't. I mean... It was so. It, it was such a love child of all of ours. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was, was like an adoption. I mean, I guess you <laughs> love that child. Like we love that the child. The question is, was it a surrogacy or was it a child that you adopted mm. from? And where did you adopt? Was it from foster care? You know, or did families you can come together in so many different ways. <laughs> When and the love you the feel is, um, <laughs> or two. <laughs> we. I think like the good news about this project is we. Loved it so much, and we just fell oh. in love with Jill Kargman. She seems so um, unusually easy to work with. 
She is. She is is exactly exactly as she seems. Um, So easy to work with, so open, so wanted to learn from us and was just happy to be there and and, um, such a quick study. But for us, it's like if we were going to do this, we were going to go all in. Um, So uh, it it did feel like our baby as much as hers and... um, you I don't feel like the nanny. We've gotten that. No, we don't. No, like the reason no, I was, no, I was no. really, I really asking that is that, um, you know, there's two different things. One, when it's your own idea and it comes out mm-hmm. of you and it's, it's mm-hmm. um, there's a certain attachment there. And I meant genuinely that there's some liberty when you're a little, you have a little more objectivity. Well, here's what I will say. The fact that it, it is based on her life up on the Upper East Side. We live in Brooklyn that distance, I think, actually, these are all themes we've been desperately trying to crack for the last 10 years of motherhood and friendship and parenthood and the insanity of living in New York. And for whatever reason, we have not been able to crack it. We wrote pilot after pilot. Nothing The worked. one that got shot, one, actually, was set in Brooklyn, and it was, you know, a similar, covering similar themes. What was that one? Well, it was based on an Israeli <laughs> show called Mother's Day. Yes. Oh, Little Mom? Is that the yes. one? Well, yeah. no, no, no. no. <laughs> oh my God. Another Israeli show we adapted because obviously we're the little little mom didn't shows. Well, there's something about their they're very gutsy and their shows are extremely honest. And uh, so anyway, we did wind up two years in a row adapting these Israeli um, you know, comedies and Little well, Mom. Women. Little Mom was the second one we did and it the didn't weirdest. get shot. But the first one we did was called Mother's Day. And it's still, it's like in its fifth season in Israel now. Um, and uh, the, it's very similar. I mean, it's so funny because for the longest time it was the untitled Rottenberg Zeritsky pilot. So <laughs> it was known as URZ. <laughs> but then at the, and we couldn't, corporate politics at CBS and, C- and CBS Studios, we went around and around literally until the last, the last delivery moment of the pilot. When they were like publishing. About titles. I mean, we couldn't DVD come up. cover. So they wound up naming it, um, and, and we, we wound up <laughs> approving it because we had no choice. But it was called uh, Life, Life and Kids, Ugh. and it was with uh, Deborah Messing. <laughs> and... Fun, funnily enough, um, Paul uh, Edelstein, Edelstein who, who is now, is now on Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. We adore him. We adore her. She was yeah. great. The cast was great. The experience was great. That was really John amazing. John Melfi, who we worked with on Sex and the City, produced it. We had a lot of our old Sex and the City guys. It was a DP, love fest. John, yeah. Um, uh, Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> the DP. JT, I was about to say. Do you get asked to do a lot of um, Jewish shows? Because you also did a show about a Hasidic no, that was our own yeah, idea. Our own idea. <laughs> no, it just, we're just super Jewy Jews. So we are but we're not Jewy, not religious particularly. But, but wait, I just getting back to the question about distance mm. and, and this yes. show. Sorry, there was I a- feel like for whatever reason, we were not able to crack it ourselves, um, creating a show about all the things we care about. Jill had this incredible um, point of view. Point of view. And, and world. she herself is so funny. And it's almost ironic that we had to go to this very different um, zip code. Of, yes, to uh, b- give voice to everything we've been trying to do. So in a way, you know, you talked about surrogacy and all that. Mm. I feel like we tried. We tried to have this baby on our own, but we couldn't. And I feel like we love it just yeah. as Jill if is we your did. surrogate. She is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Jill's um, our, <laughs> yeah. she's our partner. She is our partner. 
it's admirable um, to, to see, like, well, I shouldn't say it's admirable, it's exciting, genuinely, and, and I'm envious to see such a, um, you guys have so much affection for each other and for the work that you do, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing to witness, and I said enviable because I think for many writers who write on our own, it can be really lonely, yeah. oh and it God. seems like it's a lot of fun for you guys. I, I don't is. know how anyone does it alone. It's hard even with your best friend. Like, yeah. it's it's really hard. It's, it's hard. The Writing plotting, is hard, period. The plot, and, and especially scripts, I think, plotting, figuring out the scenes that you need. It's such a talking through exercise. Mm. And because it's it's meant to be, it, it's a visual experience once it's once the written word is, is um, it's meant to be performed. Mm-hmm. And then simultaneously, it's also done as a collaboration. I mean, what you've talked about is all the ways in which the writing gets seen and why all of these it you is, know, questions about, you know, cutting scenes and how writing actually works when you're um, producing it as well, I feel like gives you a whole new lens. Yeah, it's the well most, put. I think it's the most collaborative, one of the most mm. collaborative jobs you can have because every, it's why it's, a, it's so important to really love and respect the people who are part of the process with you because you're constantly considering everybody's point of view and needing their point of view and then making the decisions together um, about which way you want to go, but it is just, it's a constant partnership with 200 people. Um, I feel like it's like the perfect job for anyone who's an introvert, but like secretly extroverted. Like we might even have to like read yes. those, those psychological. Yes. <laughs> what color is your parent? <laughs> the um, the, wait, the profile of your... You, you, what aspect of the introvert do you think? You mean just because you the have writing. the writing? Yeah, you get to write. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to uh-huh, create this on true. your own. That's true. And even when you're collaborating with someone else, you still have to use your imagination. So there's something sort of individual about that experience in and of itself. Like you have to have an imagination. Yes, right. You have to have two imaginations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's true. So you're working together in that way. Um, but that still takes some sense of an individual coming together. That's it's very true. You know, you're reminding me uh, the sort of funny thing that would happen sometimes with us because in some ways we joke now we've been friends so long, we've written together so long that we are practically redundant. Like we'll often speak in unison, we'll write the same thing back to someone in an email simultaneously without <laughs> realizing it. It's mortifying. Um, but then... Every now and then on set, we'd be setting up a scene. I would have some kind of reaction like, oh, this, is, this is all wrong, this is all wrong. And Lisa would say, no, that's exactly how I pictured it. This is how I pictured it. She'd be over here, they'd be over here. I was like, no, they're together. They're sitting together at the same table. And just the fact that we, it, it makes me happy that we can yeah. still write something together and see it in such different ways. And that's also really comforting sometimes because I'd be like, okay, all right, that's how she saw it. So what did you think? Ah, it's really my favorite podcast since the last one. I thought it was a fascinating episode. I want to thank all of you for listening. I really want to thank Jelly D and Ian Mazoff for enabling this podcast to happen. And I am going to do a shout out to all of you to please give if you can. There are several ways to give. You can donate money. You can also write nice things about us on iTunes and on SoundCloud or however it is you listen to this podcast because those things help. Because in order for us to continue this labor of love, we're going to need a little more support. But I do also want to just say thank you to all of you who have been giving. It's been fantastic to have you along for the ride. And we have a whole new season coming up. Mm-hmm. Joe's Pop, we're going to be there monthly. So check out employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out more. And I think that's it. I think everyone else should just enjoy their day. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, guys. Yeah. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. <laughs>